I'm not only supposed to not have murderous anger in my heart towards others, but you tell me I'm supposed to actively love my enemy? Who can do this? Good morning and welcome to God's Resistance. God's Resistance is local in Wilkesbury in the Wyoming Valley. If you need someone to talk to or pray with and are interested in joining a small group to help you live as the disciple of Christ, stay tuned for contact info. My name is Eric Samborski, and I want to thank you for tuning into God's Resistance, where we resist sin, self, the devil, and the world. You can hear us every Sunday at 9 a.m. on WITK 1550 a.m. and 94.7 FM. If you missed the radio program, then look for the God's Resistance podcast on your favorite podcast platform at 10 a.m. every Sunday, where these are uploaded, and you will find other content on there as well. You can find us at godsresistance.com and on Facebook and Twitter and YouTube at God's Resistance. That is G-O-D-S-R-E-S-I-S-T-A-N-C-E. Make sure to like, follow, and turn on notifications for helpful spiritual content. You can contact us at gods.resistance at gmail.com or give us a call at 570 6-2-77-82. Now let's listen in on today's briefing. What do you think of when you hear the word enemy? Somebody who's against you? Maybe someone that hates you or fights you? I'm convinced that we don't have as near as many enemies as we think we do. I think most of our enemies are of our own making. But with the few enemies that we maybe truly have, what does Jesus want us to do? And I want you to remember before we go into this teaching that these teachings on the Sermon of the Mount, on the, the Sermon of the Mount, at least what we've already looked at in Matthew chapter 5, they make the most sense when we think of them in our personal dealings. This is where the rubber meets the road. So we're going to begin talking about loving our enemies in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. Jesus said, Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. Again, Jesus has no problems with the Old Testament or with the law of Moses, but he has a problem with people's understanding of what God's intent was. He says, you have heard that it hath been said, speaking of the teachings of the rabbis and the commentators of the Old Testament that the Jews had put a lot of stock in. The Jews' understanding of loving your neighbor and hating your enemies was this. If you were a neighbor, then you were a fellow Jew. If you were an enemy, then you were a Gentile. And to prove their thoughts on this, there is a man, Maimon, I think 
I, I don't know exactly who this one was. There's a couple people named this way in Jewish history. And so I would just say somebody that uh, an ancient commentator on Judaism with the name Maimon, he says, this is a quoting of what the Jews thought. A Jew sees a Gentile fall into the sea. Let him by no means lift him out. For it is written, thou shalt not rise up against the blood of thy neighbor. But this is not thy neighbor. Speaking of the Gentile. If you're a Jew, the Gentile's not your neighbor. If you see him in a bad position, well, then just leave him there. Because you shouldn't help him. He's a filthy Gentile. He's not a Jew. And this is why Jesus spoke about the good Samaritan that helped the man that was robbed along his journey. Thieves had robbed him and left him for dead. A priest came by first. He didn't help because of the Jewish laws. They would be unclean. Oh, I don't want to help him. A Levite comes by and for the same reason of Jewish law and touching somebody who is beat up or like that and I don't know what they would have thought of this man, but they would have been unclean and they were on their way to the temple. We better just leave him alone. Then Jesus said the person that helped was a Samaritan. Now, this would have angered the Jews greatly because the Jews hated the Samaritans and they thought that God sanctioned their hatred toward the Samaritans. A little background in the Samaritans may help to give us a little idea of the way the Jews thought and the force behind Jesus' words. We are told that the Samaritans were made up of 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel mixed with some foreigners. This happened during the time of Israel's captivity. Uh, the Samaritans inhabited Ephraim, the land of Ephraim and the half-tribe of Manasseh. The king of Assyria sent some of the surrounding nations to occupy that area, basically to obliterate the Jewish culture. They were idol worshipers, that is, the Samaritans were, until lions started to increase and come into their cities. And what they thought was, this is happening because we're not giving honor to the God of the land, which they perceived to be the Jewish God. And so they decided to add the Jewish God into their worship. And they worshiped then God and idols. And they did that for a long time as a result of their faulty thinking of local gods. The Samaritans later on offered to help rebuild God's temple to get the same favor from King Cyrus that the Israelites were getting under God's directive. And the Jews refused to allow the Samaritans to help them because they discerned that these Samaritans didn't come and want to help because they purely loved God. They came because of what was in it for them or possibly what was in it for them. The Samaritans were the thorn in Nehemiah's side that we read about in the Old Testament. As he was trying to rebuild Jerusalem, they tried to thwart all of the Jews' building efforts. The Samaritans got permission from the Persian monarch to build their own temple on Mount Gerizim, and the Samaritans maintained that that mountain was the place that Moses said the people were to come and worship at. Sanballat, which you can read about in Nehemiah and Ezra, Sanballat was the Samaritans' leader, and he set up a priest there uh, trying to basically usurp the power of the Jews. 
Samaria then, from there on afterwards, became a place where the apostates of Judaism fled. The Samaritans only received the five books of Moses and rejected everything else. They were the, I don't even know if you could call them the apostates, because they were never really fully Jews, but they as far as the Jews were concerned, they were just imposters, they were fakes, and they were working against the true God, so they believed that they had a moral right to hate them. So Jesus is saying that you have heard that it has been said, you should love the Jews and hate the non-Jews. The problem is, the Bible has always taught the salvation of the world, and not just the salvation of the Jews. One place out of many we can find in Isaiah uh, chapter 60, verses 3 through 5, and the Gentiles shall come to thy light, that is the light of the Messiah, which is Jesus Christ, and kings to the brightness of thy rising. Lift up thine eyes round about, and see all they gather themselves together. They come to thee. Thy son shall come from far, and thy daughters shall be nursed at thy side. Then shalt thou, then thou shalt see, and flow together, and thine heart shall fear, and be enlarged, because the abundance of the sea shall be converted unto thee. The forces of the Gentiles shall come unto thee. There's many other things that we can look in the law in the Old Testament where God gave certain protections for the nations that didn't know God if they were to come and try and be a part of the Israelites. He wanted the glory of God and the knowledge of God to go through the Jews to the entire world, and the greatest fulfillment of that is in salvation through Jesus Christ. So he's telling them that they have a wrong conception of the law. Yeah, we're to love the Jews and hate the people that aren't Jews. He said, that's what you've heard. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. So this, though it's not a new commandment, sounded like a new commandment to the Jews. They were to love even the most wretched and unlovable, and so were you and I. They were basically told by Jesus at this point what the intent was, and the intent was that they were not to hate those of different nationalities and religions, and every Christian today should take the same attitude. We are not to hate those of different nationalities and religions. According to the Bible, they need the truth of the gospel also, God wants all men everywhere to be saved. He wants all people to come to the knowledge of salvation through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And some people may call that hate, but that is the love of God reaching out to every single soul. Doesn't matter of your ethnicity, nationality, religion, uh, race, creed, anything. He wants everyone to come to the salvation of Jesus Christ. And it makes sense that if you were to show people a load of hate, 
they're not really going to want to come toward you. They're going to be repulsed or repelled by you. Some people are repelled by the truth because the truth is very cutting. It gets down to the core of who we are. But we as a people are not to be a hateful people as the Jews were. We are to love our enemies. And he was telling the Jews, love your enemies. Wow. Does that mean, however, that we always agree with our enemies? Was Jesus telling the Jews of that day to agree with their enemies? Does it mean that we approve of all of our enemies' actions or beliefs? Those are questions I think that sometimes we get muddled in our minds. We think if we're to love people, then we're just to accept everything they do and say and believe. Do you know it's possible to love people without agreeing with them? It is possible, no matter what the political correctness language of today tries to tell us, it is possible to love people and strongly disagree with them. It is possible to love people and not love what they're doing. That is possible. Look at Jesus. He gave scathing rebukes to the religious leaders. He said, Pharisees, hypocrites. He called them the children of the devil, and their father was Satan himself. He asked them how they could expect to escape the damnation of hell. He told them that except they repent, they would perish just like the unbelieving Gentile nations. So if our definition of love is that we're supposed to always agree with people, then Jesus is disobeying his very own commandment. But we know that that's not true. There must be something we don't understand if those two things look like they butt heads. It must mean that you can love and strongly disagree. The problem the Jews had was a deep personal hatred towards people and people groups. God, however, has all of humanity on his heart. The cross of Christ is no respecter of persons, no favorite nationalities, no favorite skin color, no favorite class of society is in the heart of God. He died, Jesus Christ died for the world, for whosoever will believe on him, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It doesn't matter to God. He wants everyone to be saved. The Jews at that point didn't see that. The Jews thought they were God's pet people and everyone else was doomed. But God wanted to use them as a vehicle to get the gospel truth out to the nations. So how do we love our enemies? He said, you heard that it was said, we are to love our neighbors, which their thing would have been love the Jews and hate our enemies, the non-Jews. We know that that's not what he wants. He says, I tell you to love your enemies and bless them that curse you. So how do we love our enemies? Three things. He said, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Let's deal with the first one. Bless them that curse you. Bless is from a Greek word, Meaning, uh, this is how it's pronounced, eulogeo, which is where we get the English word eulogy. It literally means give people good words when they give you bad words. 
you're speaking a, a good words over them, words of blessing. And so we are to bless them that curse us. Somebody wants to just tear into us with words, turn around good words, words of blessing to them. Then he says, do good to them that hate you. So the, another place in the Bible, in 1 John, we're told that we must not love in tongue only, but in deed and in truth. Show people you love them by your actions. Do good to them that hate you. They want to do evil to you. Don't do evil back. Return good to them, and you'll overcome evil with good. Third, we're told that we are to pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. This was hard for the Jews to swallow. And you know what? The human condition is still the same. It's hard for anyone to swallow this. However, this is the gospel truth. So those who are making continual war upon you and constantly harassing and uttering maliciously false statements about you and persecuting you, continual malice, we're told pray for them. Pray. You know, these people that do this to you, they can't help but act that way because they don't know God. So it makes sense to pray for them to be saved. It's like, Lord, they're acting this way because they don't know you. And so I am asking you that you would help them to know you, that you would convict them on their hearts. You would show them who you are and change their hearts. I had a situation years back I was working for a woman. She wanted me to put up some fence between her and her next door neighbor. She did not get along with her next door neighbor very well, but I was putting up a fence for her. Now, I had done this by myself. She was away out of town for a little bit. I put the fence posts in and I was putting the fence up and I had to use clamps and I had a four foot level and I was making sure that I had leveled things properly. I had to do a funny cut because of the contour of the land. And so I had gone through that and was meticulously trying to set that in in a level manner. Well, I did that. I did the job and I went back home. I think it was a couple days later when she returned. She calls me and says, your fence is way out of level. Uh, and she said, maybe it was the storm or something that came. I thought, I don't know. I said, I sunk some of the screws in there. And each one of those screws is rated at 75 pounds. And there's probably like four to six screws in there. That shouldn't have moved by that little windstorm. Uh, I'll come over and check it out, I told her. So I went and checked it out. And uh, lo and behold, somebody unscrewed the fence and dropped it about 12 inches or so lower and then screwed it back in. And I told her, I said, this has been unscrewed and rescrewed. She says, do you know who did this? And then the feud with her neighbor comes up and uh, she was furious. Well, uh, she calls me over at another point and says, I'm writing him a letter and he needs to know what he's done to an older lady like me. And so she gives me this letter, which is a scathing rebuke to this man and how much she thinks that he is basically scum. Um, and so she has that. And then I said to her, she said to me, what would you do if you were in this situation? I said, well, I'd pray for him. She stood up and threw her hands up in the air and went, oh, she said, you've got to be kidding me. And I said, no, I, I'd pray for the guy. I said, something's wrong with that man. If he's that angry that he comes over and, and tries to unscrew a fence and do that, I said, I'd pray for him. And she didn't want to hear that right then um, and couldn't believe it. 
Well, later she calls me over and says, I've wrote a nicer letter and I'm going to take your advice and I'm not going to sue him and I'm not going to do these other things. So that's just illustrating those that do evil to you return good to them. And it actually seemed to go better with her and her neighbor, even if the guy didn't you know, change his attitude from there on out. It didn't escalate into something much bigger than it could have been. And we're told how to love our enemies, but we're also told a reason as to why we're supposed to do it if we're a Christian. In the 45th verse, he says, "...that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven." For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. This is the reasoning behind the commandment. Because we are to be like God our Father. We are his children if we're saved, and we're to bear the family likeness. So the question is then, what is God like toward the wicked? What is God like towards his enemies? Well, he's merciful, and God gives out undeserved blessing. We're told that what he does is he shines the sun down on evil people and good people. He doesn't somehow hide the sun from the evil, but everyone gets the undeserved blessing of the sun going upon them. And then he says it rains on the just and unjust. Sometimes we may equate rain with displeasure. Oh man, it's rainy out today. But to a culture that was heavy in farming, he was telling them, God allows the sun to rise on the evil and the good. And God also gives rain to the just and unjust to bless his crops. That was the understanding that those listening would have taken from his words. So, He's this way, God is this way, regardless of whether a person loves him or not. He's of that merciful disposition. So he says, that ye may be the children of your father which is in heaven, for he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. Does this mean that God doesn't care about evil? and injustice? Is that what this means? Because if that's who God is, I can't serve a God like that. I've got, we've got judges and attorneys and all sorts of crooked people in these days. Why do I want to serve a God who can't do rightly? Well, it doesn't mean that. This just illustrates how God suffers long with evil and injustice and does not give people what they deserve immediately because he wants to give them space and a chance to repent before it's too late. You and I have to ultimately leave the final judgment of people up to God. We're told, for if we love them which love us, let me just read the verse. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? So basically, it takes divine love to obey these commandments. Because he's saying there's a normal love that people have towards one another, but I'm asking you to do something far above and beyond that. It takes nothing divine to love people that love you. It's easy to get along with people that like you. I don't think much anybody has a problem with that. 
Adam Clark said, he who loves for the sake of pleasure or interest pays himself. That's quite a statement. So if you're looking for reward from God, if you're looking to have God smile on you, then you're going to have to love in a different way. Because the person that just loves somebody else because of what they're going to gain from it, they're already paying themselves right now. There's no reward from, from God for that behavior. That's just That just makes logical sense as we live in this life. He said, don't even the publicans do that? This would have been another stab in the side of the Jews. The publicans were tax collectors uh, for the Roman tyrannical government. The Jews hated the Romans. The Romans came in and took control of the land that God had given them, and they hated him, insomuch that they were looking for Jesus the Messiah to come and wipe out the Roman army and stand as their king on earth again. This was what their belief was. And there are scriptures that show us that eventually there is going to be this kind of a kingdom set up here on earth again where Christ will reign forever and ever and ever. That's after the second coming, but they've gotten all those things mixed together and we're expecting that when Jesus came, he would wipe these ones out. They hated the Romans because of their tyranny over top of them. And the problem was there were some Jews that became publicans or tax collectors collecting tax from the Jewish people to give to the Roman government. And so the Jews despised the publicans. The publicans or the tax collectors were considered one of the worst sinners of society up there with prostitutes. So he, Jesus was telling them, if sinners, if the publicans can love those that love them, what sets you apart from them? And I would say the same for a Christian. What sets you apart from those that... Um, that just love because people love them. We have to have a different kind of an attitude. Verse 47, and if you salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so? First, Jesus was talking to the Jews. The Jews would not address the usual compliment of peace be to you to either heathens or publicans. The publicans of the Jewish nation would use it to their countrymen that were publicans, but not to heathens, though the more rigid Jews wouldn't even give a salutation to the publicans any more than to the heathens. Our Lord required his disciples to lay aside the moroseness of Jews and express more extensive benevolence in their salutations, says Adam Clark. So a Christian ought to be above the average standard of virtue that's around him. This should not be shown by an extra severity and moroseness, but by an extra serenity, a sweetness, a generosity, a love, and a devotion. Publicans practice saluting to one another and not to the heathen. And he said, you're no better than them if you can't love your enemies. And so he's saying, you need this divine love. The last verse of chapter five, be ye therefore perfect, even as your father, which is in heaven, is perfect. A lot of people have different definitions of this word perfect. People are scared of the word perfect. Some have tried to explain away what that means by saying it just means to be whole, to be complete, to be mature. But it says to be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect, which is a clarifier. 
This can only mean to be holy or to be perfect in love because can it be said that God is mature? We're to be mature as God is mature. God doesn't need to grow in any faculty of his being, in any of his absolute attributes. He is perfect there, and we are told to be perfect as our Father is. That's not always perfect in knowledge or action, but to be perfect in motive, to be perfect in love. We must be perfect in our love and not defective. Being perfect in our motive is the key. So do you have enemies? Are there ethnicities or classes of people that you think less of? Do you seethe over those that have treated you poorly or do you pray for them? Is the revenge in your heart because of what they've done? Do you have an aversion in your heart to the command to be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect? Have you been taught some special doctrinal fiction that makes you not fulfill this command? If you find your heart is not right, Are you going to seek God to fill you with his perfect love, or will you continue to make excuse for your carnal hatred? God can cleanse your heart and sanctify you wholly. He will not make it impossible for you to sin, but he will cleanse your motives that sin not be wrapped in them like a cancer. God can make your love godlike. The question is, will you let him? Your next step is to call 570-362-7782 or email gods.resistance at gmail.com. Introduce yourself to me. Let's set up a time to meet so that I can coach and help you further to walk with God. Also, like and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube for more teaching and preaching and video content. Get your friends to connect with that to help them along their way. Tell your friends about our broadcast every Sunday at 9 a.m. on this radio station. Tell them about our social media. And above all, join the resistance, God's resistance. A special thank you to Spectacular Sound Productions for giving permission for the use of the song Heroes and Monsters, which was edited and used in part on this production. The permission was granted under Attribution Share Alike 4.0 International Creative Commons license. That license may be found at https colon forward slash forward slash creative commons dot org forward slash licenses forward slash by hyphen essay forward slash